out and support. All righty, guys, we finished up James last week. We've been in James for a little while, and uh, we're going to start a new study tonight in the book of Romans. Um, now, if it took us uh, three, four months to do James, I have no idea how long it's going to take us to do Romans, okay? Jesus might return before Romans is done, but that'd be okay with me, okay? We could ask Paul exactly what he meant, okay? That'd be cool. But uh, we're going to start the uh, the book of Romans tonight, and uh, um, so let's go ahead and get started. First of all, we want to remind you who wrote the book of Romans? Paul. Yes, Paul wrote the book of Romans, okay? Uh, Clearly, it is stated in Romans 1 and 1 that Paul was the author of Romans. Uh, It was wrote around 55 to 58 A.D., okay? And uh, Paul uh, Paul had taken a collection from the Gentile churches and felt compelled to deliver the offering himself. And uh, this occurred on his third missionary journey. Who was it written to? It was written to the church at Rome. It was a church that had been established in Rome, so he was writing to that. And he had several reasons for writing. Number one, he wished to evangelize Spain. To do so, he needed a local church to launch his ministry from. That was the Church of Rome. Secondly, Paul had a a personal compulsion to visit and witness in Rome itself. Rome was the capital of the known world at that time. It was the place to be. It was the the place that, 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 that if you... Uh, Paul just felt a burden to go to Rome, and, and obviously uh, uh, that's why he wrote this. And then, of course, Paul was not sure he'd ever reach Rome personally. Uh, just on a personal note, Paul, the ships that Paul often got on didn't go where they were supposed to go. Paul had been through some stuff. Brother Bernie, you wouldn't want Paul getting on your boat, okay? Because chances are that boat might get shipwrecked. Something may happen to that boat. It seemed like, uh, it seemed like Paul went through a whole, whole lot of stuff, so he wasn't sure he was going to make it to Rome. So he said, in case I don't make it, here's what I'd want to tell you. Some special features about the book of Rome uh, or about the the book of Romans is, of course, it was written to a church that was in Rome that was very strong. Even in the midst of all the nonsense going on in Rome itself, there was a strong church there. It just reminds us, guys, that no matter what the world is doing, the church can still be strong. Amen. We can still be a bright, shining light in our community, no matter what's going on. Okay. This, of course, is uh, Romans is the great epistle of theology. There's some great theology in the book of Romans. Okay. And that's what I'm excited about us getting into. And and this is uh, truly what Paul believed. And there's just so much gospel truth that we're going to get to. It was also written to every man. It was written in a very simple way, a very easy way to understand. Romans is also uh, the church's last testament, okay? This was Paul's heart, Paul's heart to the churches, okay? And it's an amazing book. So let's go ahead and get started with it. Romans chapter number one. We're going to read verses one through seven, and then we're going to pick up a reading a little bit more, I think through verse 15, if I'm not mistaken. But let's get started. Romans chapter number one. I'm going to start reading out of the King James Version. It says this, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You know, this is basically Paul's introduction. This is Paul introducing himself to the, to the church of Rome, okay? And the first thing he says about himself is that he was a servant or a slave of Jesus Christ. You know, of all the ways Paul could have introduced himself, there was a lot of different ways he could have went. I mean, obviously Paul was a very well-known person, but he chose to describe himself as someone enslaved by Christ, In fact, it is impossible for a person to belong to Christ unless he is enslaved by Christ. This is the shocking message Paul wants to get across to the believers at Rome. Number one, he was a slave of Jesus. He was also an apostle of God. He was set apart to the gospel of God. He had received God's grace and God's mission, and he acknowledged the enslavement of others. So let's look at it. The very first thing that Paul describes himself as is a slave of Jesus Christ. The word slave means far more than just servant. It means a person totally possessed by the master. It is a bond servant bound by law to the master. A look at the slave market of Paul's day shows more clearly what Paul meant when he said he was a slave of Jesus Christ. Keep in in mind the context of of the the world that Paul was writing to. They understood the slave trade. They understood that thing that, that thank goodness, has, has been ridden of this society. But it says, a slave was owned by the master. He was totally possessed by the master. This is what Paul meant. Paul was purchased and bought by Jesus. Christ had looked upon him, had seen his degraded and needful condition. Christ looked and the most wonderful thing happened. God loved him and bought him with the price. See, that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I've been bought with a price. I am not my own. I am a slave. I am a servant of the master. Secondly, the slave existed for his master and had no other reason for existence. See, in those days, slaves had no personal rights whatsoever. The same was true with Paul. He existed only for Jesus. His rights were the rights of Christ alone. Thirdly, the slave served his master and he existed only for the purpose of service. He was at his master's disposal any hour of the day and night. So it was with Paul. He lived only to serve Christ hour by hour, day by day, night by night. Fourthly, the slave's will belonged to the master. He was allowed no will, no ambition other than the will and the ambition of the master. He was completely subservient to the master, owed total obedience to the will of God. He didn't belong to himself anymore. He belonged to God. Are you getting the picture here? This is how Paul is describing himself. And again, he's using it as a context that you and I should try to live likewise. You and I should try to follow his example. Again, I believe it was Paul who said, follow me as I follow Christ. Fifthly, there's a fifth and most precious thing that Paul meant by being a slave of Jesus Christ. He meant that he had the highest and most honored and kingly profession in all the world. Men of God, the greatest men of history, have always been called servants of God. It was the highest title of honor. The believer's slavery to Jesus Christ is not cringing, cowardly, or shameful uh, subjection. It is a position of honor. Deuteronomy 34 says Moses was a slave of God. Joshua 24 says Joshua was a slave or a servant of God. 2 Samuel 3.18 says David was was a slave of God. Paul was a slave of God. James was a servant of God. Peter was a servant of God. Jude, the prophets, and all Christian believers, you and I, are servants of God as well. 
Amen? So think about the context of what Paul was saying. Of all the ways he could have introduced himself, he chose to to use the terminology, I am a servant or a slave of God. My will is not my own. I don't do things like I want to do them. I want to do them just as my master wants them done. I don't make my own decisions. I do what the master wants me to do. Guys, that's what we need to strive for. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 6, 6 and 7. Laboring not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with good will, doing service as unto the Lord and not unto men. Colossians 3.23, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord. Now, secondly, Paul says he's not only a servant, not only a slave, but he's also an apostle. The word apostle means either a person who is sent out or a person who is sent forth, a sent one. That's what an apostle means. Apostle is a representative, an ambassador, a person who is sent into one country to represent another country. Three things are true of the apostle. Number one, he belongs to the one who sent him. Secondly, he is commissioned to be sent out. And thirdly, he possesses all the authority and the power of the one who sent him. Obviously, Paul had all those things. Note three, note three real strong lessons here. Number one, Paul said he was called to be an apostle. He was not in the ministry because he wanted to be. He chose to be. He had some great ability. He enjoyed working with people. He was called by God. Amen? You know what, guys? All of us are called by God to do something. We're all called to be servants. We're all called to, to do things that would please the Lord. And we need to live as such. Secondly, Paul had heard and answered God's call. God did not override Paul's will. God wanted Paul in the ministry. And Paul said yes to God. You and I need to say yes to God as well. Whatever the Lord is leading you to do, whatever the Lord is tugging at your heart to do, say yes to God. You'll never regret it. Amen? Again, guys, I understand the call of God. Okay? It's, it's the call of God that has me in ministry 25 years after I started, okay? For those of you who don't, don't, don't know, I have a pre-med degree. I was on my way to medical school when the Lord got my attention, Blaze, okay? And he changed everything in my life. And all it, all it took on my part was yes. All it took on my part was to say yes to God. And, one, and once I said yes, Miss Dawn, it just began to fall into place and God has blessed us abundantly. Guys, I just want to challenge you. If the Lord is laying something on your heart, say yes to him. You will never regret it. Thirdly, Paul was called to be an apostle, to be a minister. He was not called to occupy a position of authority to be honored by men. He was a servant of God with two primary purposes. Number one, to serve and to minister to others. Matthew 20, Jesus said, and whatsoever or whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto you, unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Guys, consider the example of Jesus. Brother Bernie, Jesus left heaven. He left a place where he was adored, he was honored, he was worshipped, and he came to a place on earth to serve us. to to give his life a ransom, to give of himself to others, you and I must do likewise. And then secondly, Paul recognized that he was to go forth and bear fruit. 
John 15 says it this way. You have not chosen me, Jesus says, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that that fruit should remain. Brother Blaze, you're called to bring forth fruit. That fruit's going to remain. That fruit's going to make a difference for eternity. Keep saying yes to God. Keep doing what God is telling you to do. Keep bringing forth fruit, friends. Psalm 1-3 says, And you shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And Psalm 92-13, Those that he planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of God. You know what, guys? The way to sum that up is blessings follow obedience. You do things God's way, you're blessed because of it. Amen? Paul also understood that he was set apart to the gospel of God. This is the reason God called Paul, that Paul might be separated, marked, set apart for the gospel of God. The word gospel simply means good news of God. The gospel is good news. Paul did not say he was called and set apart to be a man-made religion, denomination, or sect. Nor was he primarily called to a gospel of social justice and welfare. As important as those things may be. Paul said he was set apart to the gospel, the good news of God. And what is the good news? The good news is that Jesus Christ came to this earth to, to save us from our sins. To pay the ransom that our sins required. To, to bridge that gap between us and God. An unholy people and a holy God, blaze, Jesus came to bridge that gap. Aren't you glad he did it? You couldn't bridge it yourself. I couldn't do it myself. We couldn't work our way into heaven. But Jesus came and did it all. Friends, that's good news. That is good news. The gospel concerns God's son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He is both the subject and the author of the gospel. By him and through him, the gospel is created and proclaimed. He brings the good news of God to man. He is the very embodiment of the good news, Jesus himself. Mm, How good. How good is that? So good. Fourthly, Paul had received God's grace and God's mission. Note the word we. Paul now speaks of all believers, not only himself. Number one, we have received God's glorious grace, his favor, his mercy, his love, his salvation. Grace includes all that God has done for us and all the wonderful blessings he showers upon us. God's grace includes his love for us from eternity past. Titus 1 and 2. And hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. So good. His grace also includes his saving us freely without any cost whatsoever to us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the what? The gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. May not have cost us much, but it cost Jesus everything. Amen? Thirdly, his care and his looking after us day by day. Isn't it good to know that God's looking out for you? Isn't it good to know that God's fighting for you? Isn't it good to know the, the scripture that promises I was once young and now I'm old, but I've never seen his righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread? By the way, as I get older, Brother Blaze, I like that scripture more and more. Okay? I was, young, I was once young and now I'm a little older, okay? And I've never seen his righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. That means God takes care of his people. Isn't it good to know that? That's his grace, guys. 
Also, His grace includes His glorious promise of eternal redemption, of being transformed and being made perfect, being given the glorious privileges of living him with Him forever in heaven. Titus 3 and 7, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Amen. And then finally, Paul acknowledged in his introduction the enslavement of others. He said four things about believers. Number one, believers are called of Jesus Christ. Just as Paul was, we are. Just like God called Paul, he's called you and I. Believers are called to be saved, to be in Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2, 4 and 6 who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. You and I as believers are called to be in Christ Jesus, to serve him. Secondly, believers are beloved of God, held ever so close to his heart, counted precious and dear to him. But God, who is rich in mercy, according to Ephesians chapter number 2, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even while we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. Amen? Also, believers are called to be saints. And we're called to be recipients of God's grace and peace. We're called to be recipients, and I believe we're also called to be distributors of his grace and his peace. Amen? Because much has been given to us, much is required of us. Amen? That same grace that has saved us, we need to give to others. We need to share with others. We need to share the good news. Now, that was Paul's introduction. Now, let's look at how Paul had great interest in in the church and how he was concerned about the church. Let's look at verses 8 through 15. You see, Paul had never visited the Roman church. He had never seen the believers at Rome, yet he was writing to them. How could he best reach them and express his purpose for writing them? How could he arouse interest to such a peak that they would read what he was writing and follow it? This is the subject of the present passage. Paul wanted the Roman believers to know his great interest in them. Therefore, to the best of his ability, he shared why he was writing to them. Simply stated, he said he was writing because he could do nothing else. He was compelled to share the gospel with the whole world, including the capital of the known world, Rome itself. Let's look at it. Romans chapter number 1, verses 8 through 15. Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was left, but was let hereto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in, is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome. So here's what Paul had to say. Number one. 
The church at Rome was a great church. Paul knew it was a great church. It was a place that, that Paul was thanking God for. He said, I thank God for you always. The word always shows that the church held a very special place in Paul's heart. This is significant, for Paul had never been to that church. He did not know the church personally. He only knew what he had heard. You see, every church has a testimony. The church at Rome had a great testimony, and Paul was talking about that testimony. Every church has a testimony. And you know what? It's up to us to continue that good testimony. If the testimony needs changing, which sometimes that needs to happen, it's up to us to change that testimony. Amen? Every church is known for something. I want this church to once again be known that the, as the church that cares about others. You know, I, I found those old, um, those old um, uh, hymnals. And imprinted in every one of those things was first assembly of God, the church that cares about you. Guys, that's so simple, yet so profound. You know, in the world we live in today, people care about a whole lot of things, but they don't often care about others. Amen? I think a church could make a difference if we'd care about others. If we would love God and we would love others, I think everything else would take care of itself, now wouldn't it? But every church has a testimony. It's so important that we keep our testimony strong. Two significant things can be gleaned from this scripture. Number one, the believers were living pure lives in the midst of an immoral, unjust society. Yes, Rome was the capital of the known world, but it was just a a hotbed for hedonism. It was an absolute madhouse for, for craziness and foolishness. But yet in the midst of all this immorality, in the midst of all this indulgence, all this materialism, greed, pride, sin, and wickedness, there was still a strong, a strong gospel presence. That should encourage all of us today. You know, guys, we watch the news and this society we live in is not so good, <laughs> okay? Uh, uh, there's a lot of wickedness going on. There's a lot of evil going on. But even in the midst of all that, there's still a remnant that does things God's way. 2,000 years ago, there was a remnant in the church of Rome. And 2,000 years later, there's still a remnant that God wants to use. Let us be that remnant. Amen? Secondly, the believers were serving God faithfully and laboring diligently for the Lord. Wherever they were, at home or traveling, they were sharing Christ. They were ministering to people. They were known all around the world that this was a church with a great testimony. No matter what they, where they were, no matter what they were doing, they were constantly being faithful to the Lord. Every church and every believer should have a strong testimony. A testimony so strong that it's talked about everywhere. Secondly, verse 9 says, The gospel subjected Paul's spirit to God's Son. You see, every man should subject his spirit to, to Jesus. Why? Because of the gospel. The glorious salvation that is in Christ Jesus. The deliverance from sin, death, and hell. When a person considers that he is enslaved by sin and that he is actually going to die and have to give an account to God, he is most foolish not to accept the salvation that is offered by Jesus. Not to subject his spirit to God's only son. Not to serve in the gospel of God's only son. See, guys, it's just natural to respond to the love of God by loving him back. It's just natural to respond to God's offer of grace, God's offer of salvation in, in, in like manner. Brother Blaze, I'm sure you've met people as I have. You've tried to witness to them. You've tried to tell them about the goodness of God, and they just don't want to hear it. 
Again, you come to a point of absolute uh, frustration because it's like this makes the most sense in the world. You know, it's like I'm trying to give you a thousand bucks. Just take it. It's like I'm trying to give you something that you need. You may not know that you need it, but honey, you need it. And for some people, they still reject it. Again, I don't understand that. I'm just so glad that I came to my senses as a 20-year-old. Amen? And I'm so glad that you sitting out here today have come to your senses and you asked Jesus into your heart and you've allowed him to change everything. You see, it should just be natural for us as, as creatures created by an awesome God to serve God. The point is this. All believers are to serve God in spirit and in body. We're to keep our spirit strong, conquer our emotions, overcome our weaknesses, the ups and downs of this life. When a believer does this, then he can serve God to the fullest extent possible. We need to give all we got to serve the Lord. Verse number nine also says, the gospel stirred Paul to pray without ceasing. Paul was a man of prayer, a man of intercessory prayer, a man who always prayed for others. Note two important points. Paul called upon God to bear witness that he prayed. He did not just talk about praying, just tell people he was praying for them as a courtesy, just pretend to pray, or just spend a few minutes in a religious exercise of prayer. Paul really prayed. See, guys, we need to really pray as well. You know, when you tell somebody you're going to pray for them, really pray for them. Okay, I've made it a habit, Brother Blaze, because we come into a lot of people and people always know we're ministers. So they always ask us to pray for. And you know how good my memory is. Okay, (laughs) you've seen that before. You've seen that in action. So when I tell somebody I'm going to pray for them, Brother Blaze, the moment I leave their presence, I pray for them right then, right there. Now, do I try to pray more? Yes. Okay. And often I do, but that way I've kept my word. I have done what I would say I would do. That's something we all need to do guys. You know, when I, when I put on Facebook that I'm praying, you know what the moment I do after I write praying, I stop and I pray. Okay. I don't keep scrolling, even though I do keep scrolling later. Okay. I pray. You know, my wife calls me a little, the little, the little scroller. That's all I do. I don't ever post stuff. By the way, there's folks who probably ought to post less stuff. I'll just leave it at that, okay? But you can't get in trouble if you don't post nothing, right, Brother Blaze? Okay? Um, But here's the deal. When I say I'm praying, I pray. We need to do that. We need to be men of prayer. We need to be women of prayer. We need to be like Paul and pray without ceasing. Don't just talk about it. Don't just pretend it. Really, really do it. Take time to ask God to touch others. It's what Paul did, and it made a difference. And it'll make a difference today. Amen? Paul even prayed for believers in churches whom he did not know. Remember, he knew only a few of the believers in the Roman church. He had never met most of them. They were totally unfamiliar and unknown to him, yet he prayed for the church. Scripture is strong in its charge to us. We are to pray constantly and we are to pray for all believers throughout the world. Our prayers are not to be limited to a few minutes each day covering our loved ones and our close friends and our church and our community. We need to pray and really touch heaven. Amen? That's why Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. And then in verses 10 through 13, and I'm almost done, Paul talked about how the gospel had stirred him to seek people personally. 
He did not leave the ministry and the sharing of the gospel up to others. He became personally involved. So much so that he begged God to give him opportunity after opportunity. Even to the point of letting him travel to the capital of the world, Rome itself. Note how deeply he was stirred. He made a request, if by any means he might be allowed to preach the gospel at Rome. The point is very forceful. Paul was stirred to seek people for he longed to reach people for Christ. He was praying for God to give him opportunities. Guys, we need to pray those kind of prayers. We need to pray for opportunities. It's not just up to Brother Blaze and up to me as ministers to have opportunities to reach others. You have opportunities as well. You need to pray for those opportunities. It may come up at strange moments. It may be at a homeschool meeting. It may be at Walmart. It may be at Rouse's. Who knows where it may be, but pray for opportunities. So what did Paul want? Paul wished to impart some spiritual gift to believers. So why? So they might be more deeply established in the faith. See guys, we all have some gifts. We all have some special gifts that God has given us. We need to use that to be a blessing to the kingdom. We need to use that to be a blessing to others. Sister Garland, you have used your giftedness of being able to share encouraging words. I very much look forward to reading this card. Why? Because I know what it's going to say. It's going to make me feel good. And every now and then we need to feel good, don't we? Okay? And sometimes I need a piece of chocolate cake to make me feel good. Okay? I'm not going to get one of those tonight. Although, Dawn, if you made me a uh, German chocolate cake, I would eat that. Okay? But, um, by the way, that, that, that's how I get stuff, if you ever wondered. But, no, I'm just cool. Okay? Okay? Shana, anything you cook. Every time I, I see Seth, I'm like, how is Seth not 300 pounds? Okay? I mean, her husband is like this and... I've never had a bad meal cooked by Shana. Okay, but I say it like Brother Bernie. How is he not 300 pounds, okay? All right, back to where I was at. Gospel, uh, chocolate cake just got me off, off, off track. All right, so what we're doing, we're praying for opportunities. We're praying for opportunities to use our gifts to be a blessing to others. Pray for opportunities, guys. Pray for opportunities to tell somebody about God. Pick you up a few of these invite cards. Pray for opportunities and invite somebody to church. Just this afternoon, I had an opportunity to invite somebody to church. Now, they told me they faithfully attended another church, and that was cool. I said, hey, last time I checked, we're on the same team. She smiled and said, yeah, I guess we are, okay? You know what? Is it a different denomination than us? Yes, but they believe in Jesus Christ. Brother Blaze, that's good enough for me. We're on the same team, okay? And uh, again, just take opportunity and invite people. Take opportunity to, to pray for people, to pray with people. Use the giftings that God has given you to be a blessing to others. But so many times we don't do that. <laughs> So many times we're, we're not looking for opportunities to share the gospel. We're not looking for opportunities to, to bless others. You know what? Next Wednesday, we're going to have opportunity to bless others, okay? Now, some would say, ah, oh, you're just doing a little candy giveaway. It's just trick-or-treat. No, it's much more than that. It's an opportunity to love on our community. And any time the church has an opportunity to love on its community, we should do so. Amen? And that's what we're going to do. We're going to love on the kids in our community. We're going to provide a safe place for the kids in our community to come to. By the way, we do that on Friday nights after home football games, and we call it fifth quarters. It's opportunities for teenagers to come so they're not running around, getting in trouble, doing all kind of things that teenagers do. They come to our church, a hundred strong, and they just hang out. That's a good thing, guys. That is some of the things that the church needs to be doing. 
See, we need to use the gifts that God has given us to be a blessing to the kingdom. Paul, secondly, also wished to be encouraged together with other believers. The word comforted means to be strengthened and consoled together. Paul expected to be taught and strengthened by believers as well as to teach and to strengthen them. Paul realized that this is, that, that guys, the church is a mutual admiration society. We're in this thing together. I'm supposed to encourage Brother Blaze, and he's supposed to encourage me. I'm supposed to encourage Sister Garland, and she's going to encourage me. I'm supposed to encourage Sister Josie. She encourages me. We're in this thing together. We're in this fight together. That's what Paul said, and that's how we should live. How many believers are actively grounded enough in the faith to share with Paul? What an indictment. Yet the expectation was that we were deeply rooted, studying the word, learning together, strengthening each other in this most holy faith. Thirdly, Paul wished to bear fruit among them. Paul wished to bear the fruit of converts, the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of Christian character, the fruit of the Spirit. You see, Paul's worldwide vision, he wished to bear fruit among the citizens of Rome as well as among other Gentiles. How desperately God today needs men and women, boys and girls, to have a worldwide vision that wants to bear fruit. You know, guys, in the last few weeks, we've had some great Sundays for missions. That's fruit bearing. Amen? And, and, and we're going to have a great outreach next Wednesday. That's fruit bearing. And we're going to continue to have great services. That's fruit bearing. Guys, you're going to continue to go into this community and, and, and live a, a life that is worthy of Christ Jesus. That is how we bear fruit. And then finally, I close with, the gospel stirred Paul with a deep sense of indebtedness and readiness to reach all men. Two points worth noting. Number one, The word debtor means to owe, to be obligated, to be bound by duty. The Greek is impossible to translate into English for two ideas are being expressed by Paul. He was a debtor because Christ had done so much for him, saved him, and because Christ had called him to preach, given him a task to do. Guys, we are all indebted to Christ. Amen? Think about all that he's done for you, guys. When I think about all that he's done for me, I owe him. Brother Blaze, I say this all the time. If Jesus didn't do one more good thing for this boy, he's already done enough. If he didn't answer one more of my prayers, if he didn't bless my family one more time, he's already done enough because this guy deserved hell, but I get to go to heaven. This guy deserved punishment. This guy deserved judgment. And so did you. And so did all of us in here and all of you watching via Facebook. But because of God's great grace, we are indebted. We are indebted. Amen? This indebtedness was felt very deeply by Paul. The idea is that it was intense, unrelentless, and powerful. The sense of debt just would not let Paul go. He was compelled to preach the gospel. Therefore, there was nothing else he could do. He was obligated and duty-bound to preach it. He actually felt that he owed the gospel to the world. If he kept it quiet, it would be worse than knowing the cure for cancer and refusing to share it. Guys, we are indebted in the same manner. Note how Paul declared his indebtedness to the, all, the whole world. He made a, a contrast between the Greeks and the barbarians. He meant that he owed the gospel to all nationalities and cultures, to all peoples of the world, no matter what. 
Guys, Paul had a, a worldview. Paul understood both, both local and also worldwide missions, and we need to understand the same thing. Paul sensed a deep indebtedness to share the glorious good news of salvation. The answer to eternal life is now known and must be proclaimed to the whole world. John three sixteen. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And finally, the word ready means an urgent willingness. Paul experienced both a willingness and an urgency to preach the gospel. Note the words, as much as is in me. Paul wanted to take all that was in him and pour it into others. All his energy, all his effort, all the truth and the knowledge of the good news. There was nothing that could keep him from sharing the gospel. Not if he had a chance to share it. He allowed no hindrance to enter his life that would affect his message. He was possessed and obsessed with a readiness to preach this glorious message of Jesus. Wow. I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit convicted. <laughs> when I see the passion that Paul had, when I see the, 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 the strong urgency that Paul had, I need to be more urgent. I need to be more passionate. We all need to be more like Paul. Amen? Mark 16, 15, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach this gospel to every creature.